Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, and this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard, Kentucky sophomore guard Emmanuel Quickly, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, Big Ten Network, and Fox Sports doing their bracket for them. We'll discuss the Player of the Year race, get my Katz ranks, my top 10 sophomores, and predictions on the back end of the podcast. But first, it is time for the headlines in college basketball. At number five. Gonzaga 20-1, and one, the first team in the country to 20 wins. And that is a new WCC conference record, 33 straight regular season conference wins. Gonzaga is streaking. The Zags have set a record 33 straight WCC regular season games, 34 in a row at home, and they were the first team in the country to win 20 games. Uh, yes, Yoli Childs didn't play for BYU, but Philip Petrusev, he got hurt during that game, and yet the Zags still crushed BYU. This is a much better West Coast Conference. Santa Clara comes in there, and yet Gonzaga destroyed them. If Gonzaga can stay healthy, that's the big if. If, then the Zags are looking like one of the favorites to win the national championship. Headline number four. Houston. Now 4-1 and one in conference play with a road win against 16th-ranked Wichita State. Number 5, Butler, beaten by DePaul. Good win, and let's see if they can feel from here. For the Gators, their first home win against the top five SEC opponents since March 6th of 2005. Season-changing wins occurred last week. You had one for Houston at Wichita State. A season-saving win for DePaul over Butler. And then the reemergence of Florida, one of my preseason Final Four picks, as they knocked off Auburn. Look, this season's crazy. Teams are going through multiple seasons within the season. And that's what's happened for Houston, DePaul, and Florida. Headline number three. But it'll be the Louisville Cardinals going out of here happy. A significant road win. For the Cardinals here, but to Cameron, they beat Duke 79-73. to Louisville finally got that marquee win it needed, and it happened at Duke. Louisville, our team of the week. Cardinals win at Pitt, and then they win at Duke. Jordan Wara, outstanding, as the Cardinals reasserted themselves as an ACC title contender right there with Florida State. And Duke now behind those two. Great win for the Cardinals. 
at number two. And the Aztecs remain undefeated. 19-0, the only undefeated team in the nation. San Diego State is now the lone undefeated team. The Aztecs standing alone after Auburn lost at Alabama and at Florida. They're running through the Mountain West Conference. They've been challenged. But as you'll hear later in our predictions, I think uh, the basically good vibe with the Aztecs, the show at the Viejas Arena, is going to continue, and it's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good for San Diego State the rest of the season. Headline number one. Their star, Miles Powell, shined the brightest. What a performance from the Pirates. We have National Player of the Year candidate and Obi Toppin. So exciting. Just a sophomore. His numbers are outstanding. Luca Garza, the go-to guy, averaging 22.3 points and over 10 rebounds a contest. When you got a leader like that, Marcus Howard, with a huge game, 42 points, you know you got some leadership. Peyton Pritchard is the hero for the Ducks. A night in which Cassius Winston becomes the all-time assist leader in Big Ten history. And the top headline this week in college basketball, the player of the year race could come down to these six players. Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Obi Toppin from Dayton. Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. Luca Garza from Iowa. Cassius Winston from Michigan State. Marcus Howard from Marquette. Now, Mike DeCourcy is going to join us shortly, and he may add a couple others onto my list of six. But I'm feeling very confident right now that those will be the six that are vying for the top five All-American spots. And if there's one that falls off right now, it's probably Marcus Howard just because Marquette is not at the top of the Big East. Although he's averaging 28 points a game right now. You know, Luca Garza, 22 and 10. I mean, he's right now probably the Big Ten player of the year. Ahead of Cassius Winston, who's averaging 18 and 6. Peyton Pritchard's hit big time shots to knock off Arizona and Washington. Arizona home, Washington on the road. He's averaging 19 and 5 assists, two turnovers a game. Obi Toppin, he's got Dayton as a player to go to the Final Four, averaging 19 and 7. But right now, I would lean toward Miles Powell of Seton Hall, averaging 22 and 5. He's a big shot maker. He's led his team. He defers when he needs to. He's gotten the bigs. In place, Sandro's not healthy yet, so he's leading this team undefeated to the top of the Big East. And right now, I think he is the National Player of the Year. But it's a great race. You've got awards, Wooden, Naismith, Sporting News, Oscar Robertson, AP, Rupp. We'll announce one in March Madness. And yet, I think you're going to have multiple winners in all these different awards. It's going to be an interesting last six, seven weeks of the season. All right. Those are your headlines in college basketball of the week. So let's continue this conversation with Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer. Love saying that. Mike DeCourcy of the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports and the Sporting News. And one of my closest friends, certainly in the business, Uh, Mike uh, let's do a couple things here. Um, first off, see if you agree with me on this. National Player of the Year, okay? It's, you could argue, kind of wide open like the national title chase. And I came up with a list of six players right now 
which I thought would be difficult to cut it down to five to knock one of the six off for a first team at this juncture in the season. And I could see a year where not the same player wins all the same awards. I mean, there are multiple player of the year awards from Robertson to Rupp to uh, Naismith to Wooden to AP. And I think we could have different winners. So here are my six. Wait, 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 wait. You left out sporting news, man. Okay. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Sporting news. Uh, so there are multiple awards. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to give you the six. You tell me if you agree with the six. Is there someone I'm missing and how you would rank them? Okay. I do not, I have okay. not put these in order. I'm just going to give you the six names right now. Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Luca Garza from Iowa. Obi Toppin from Dayton. Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. Cassius Winston from Michigan State. And Marcus Howard from Marquette. That's six players. <laughs> Well, I think you would have to add in Jordan Wara from Louisville. And and I think even after Saturday, I think you still have to at least consider Vernon Carey from Duke. Uh, I think that Vernon's road to that is a little longer. And Jordan has a lot to do to overcome Kentucky, but he sure has really done an amazing job making up for it in the, in the week since. Uh, the, the Florida State game tried to rescue uh, an absolutely moribund performance and almost did uh, the uh, the game at Duke. He was quite good. The game at Notre Dame, when, again, when his team wasn't playing very well, and he was spectacular. So I, I did not have Jordan on our midseason first All-America team, but I would keep him in the picture with the way the, the Cardinals are trending and with the way he's performing. All right, so totally legit uh, for a potential seven and eight. Um, of those six, though, first deal with my six. Who would you lop off to give a five to get a five? Uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I would probably I would probably take off Marcus Howard. I think he's terrific, and I think he's a first team All American. But I think it's hard to win the National Player of the Year when you are not a great defender, yeah, and when your team is good to very good. It, I, I, it, it would be you would have to really do something um, unbelievable, and in uh, in his scoring average is certainly impressive. And I, like I say, he's a he's a uh, unless something happened, but he was he was on our first All America midseason team easily, and unless something strange happens, we'll probably make the end of the year team. But I don't think that he's a first that he's a player of the year. Cassius, based on the performance to date. Would be the player. He did. I don't think he made our first team. I'm not sure. I can't remember particularly whether he did. I think he was on our second team. But I think that he's a. I, I think that he could easily have a second half of the season that would put him on the first team. I, obviously, there are lots of reasons that went into uh, him not performing quite at his level during the first two months. And I think he's done an amazing job of fighting through the grief of losing his brother first to perform at all and then to begin performing as he usually does. Uh, So I think that he would be a more likely player to get to uh, player to get to player of the year status than Marcus would. You know, what's crazy is if he has that second half of the Big Ten season, like you're saying, there's a chance where and let's say Michigan State you know, ends up winning the league and is in contention for a top two line seed where you could have 
Luca Garza win Big Ten Player of the Year, and if the voting is done later into March, Cassius Winston potentially win National Player of the Year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, Sporting News comes out with uh, its award at the end of the regular season. It, I, I, there are people who say, well, gee, why do you vote so early? Why don't you take in the tournament account? Well, first of all, none of the other sports do that. And the other thing about it is other than Wooden, which presents a week or two later after the season ends, it always has seemed kind of strange to me to have most of the tournament be in your award. Well, I mean, what, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's either all or some. We happen to do it at the end of the regular season. I think there's a great legitimacy to doing it at the end of conference tournaments. The problem is that for those of us who are in the business of doing this, if you do it at, at the end of conference tournaments, you get buried by the bracket. So uh, that, that's why we, we do our award at the close of the, the, the regular season, the scheduled regular season. All right. So there are a couple of players on this list that, uh, you know, I want to get your opinion on it and, and see where you think they are in contention for this. So I just mentioned Luca Garza. Uh, where do you think he is in terms of his chase for potentially winning National Player of the Year? I, I think he's having a phenomenal season. It's just amazing. And and as a wonderful offensive player, does everything, and he's a terrific teammate, and, and he fights and is tough. Uh, the, the obstacle for Luca, as is often the case, is, uh, I, I again, Performing like a dead solid lock all American, uh, but the team performance is very again good to very good. And if there are other players who are who who are achieving great things and whose teams are achieving better things, they usually go closer to the front of the line. And now, if you are doing unbelievable things on a good to to very good team, then perhaps you have an opportunity to do that. All right, three others. Where do you put Obi Toppin? Yeah, you know, Obi's an interesting one uh, because he's a terrific player. I, I got a chance to see him in somewhat in the Kansas game back in Maui and then even more so uh, in the game against St. Louis. And he's a wonderful player. And uh, again, this this is not to denigrate him at all, but uh, – it's, it, you know, the competition, the Atlantic 10, while very good and probably underrated by the, by those who are who are who are who pay some attention to college basketball, but not close attention uh, is still not the same as what you get in, in the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big East or wherever. Uh, and so I think that holds him back a little. Uh, and again, because the field is so strong, uh, it, I think that, you know, again, if he were the one great player in a year. I mean, he would very comfortably be a, a, a national player of the year award winner. I mean, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be any, well, gee, how can we give it to that guy? I mean, he's terrific, but I do think that playing at Dayton is, 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 is a handicap for him, uh, but it, it's, it's possible that they could overcome it. If others struggle, uh, don't have the same level of success, both individually and team wise, as we go down the last couple of months. How about Peyton Pritchard? Peyton Pritchard, he, you know, his his issue is getting seen uh, because not because he's not, you know, mostly because his games are on pretty late. And so uh, so does everybody see what he does? Uh, But he keeps pounding on everybody with a hammer, like saying, look at me. 
look what I'm doing. He's amazing. I mean, he's having an incredible year. What he did in the Washington game over the weekend, what he did to Michigan back in December, uh, just uh, to a lesser extent, although the team comeback was amazing, he was excellent down the stretch against Arizona, although not as overwhelming as in the other two. Uh, but he, he keeps showing everybody that you have to pay attention to him. All right, and now the player that I think could ultimately at least win one of those, if not multiple, if this if he basically keeps playing the way he's playing, and that's Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Yeah, if if we had to stop today, uh, he would be the one that I would give the trophy to. Uh, uh, he's just been phenomenal, and Pritchard would probably be the closest to him. Uh, they, they, those two guys are having incredible years. Uh, they're a little different, obviously, because Pritchard's a point guard, balls in his hands more. Uh, also, you know, you, you look at Powell, and he, he does he does create for himself, uh, but he doesn't, you know, he's not, and, and he's certainly a willing passer. But with balls in his hands, everybody on his team knows that the best option is for Miles to shoot it, uh, and 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 it doesn't seem to matter from where, against whom, how closely he's being guarded. It, it it really just the the likelihood that's going to go in seems to to raise with the consequence of the shot, uh, just phenomenal. You know the Pritchard, uh, the difference that that uh, you know that Pritchard's working with, and and why he should get a lot of a lot you know a, a lot of consideration and maybe some of the awards is that he's almost playing with an entirely new team from what he did a year ago, which was probably pretty close to an entirely new team from the one he played with the year before that. And certainly is different than the one he played the year before that, when he made the final four. I mean, he's not, he, he has been the one constant at Oregon through all of that and has still managed to excel. So I give him a lot of credit for that, but I, miles has just been so spectacular and has elevated this Seton hall team from a rough start in part because of his injuries uh, to where they are, to me, one of the best teams in America right now. I agree. That's where I'm leaning as well. Uh, Mike, as always, I appreciate it. I want to get your thoughts on this, and everyone can track you uh, on Twitter at... TSN Mike. Uh, and you can find me on uh, Big Ten Network every weekend, Saturdays uh, doing game... Uh, side, excuse me, uh, halftime analysis and pregame analysis uh, on BTN on Saturdays, and then on Sundays doing that those things as well as our weekly show big 10 basketball and beyond and you can find my work at sportingnews.com and your bracket on all fox sports digital platforms absolutely i didn't want to leave that out uh <laughs> but i you know it, it, you do tend to you do tend to uh when you have this many balls in the air every now and then one drops you just try to make sure that uh, you're only dropping it in the promotion of it not in the execution right awesome mike thank you thank you Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. I'm Andy Katz, the host of March Madness 365. It's time for Katz Ranks, the top 10 sophomores of the season. This was a tough list. There's so many different players I could have put on this list. I know you're going to change or debate the order in this, but this is a great class. So often we talk about the freshmen, the seniors, but the improvement a lot of these players have made from freshman to sophomore year, this is what's going to be a difference for them, not just in their college careers, but also going forward in the NBA. So let's start at number 10. Isaiah Joe from Arkansas. He's averaging 17 points a game. He's had a monster game earlier this season. 
uh, he is one of the key reasons that Arkansas is a contender in the SEC under Eric Musselman. At number nine, staying in the SEC, I've got Ashton Hagens from Kentucky. Came back this season to lead a younger group, paired up with Emmanuel Quickly in the backcourt at Kentucky, and he's been a steadying force for John Calipari and the Wildcats. At number eight, Mac McClung from Georgetown. Now, I put him a little bit higher on this list because he's had a deal with so much this season. James Akinjo decides to transfer. It was Akinjo and McClung. Now it's just McClung in terms of being that anchor on the perimeter. Now, he doesn't have to be the go-to scorer because of Omer Yurt's seven inside, but McClung has had to carry so much weight, and he has delivered, and he's kept Georgetown in the chase for an NCAA tournament berth. At number seven, Timmy Allen from Utah. Had a monster game against Kentucky in Las Vegas. Uh, The Utes have been a little bit up and down. They're young, but the bottom line is that Timmy Allen has allowed Utah to even be in the conversation in the Pac-12 and for an NCAA tournament berth. At number six, Trey Jones from Duke. Could have gone last year, decided to come back, lead this young group. Been an outstanding defender throughout the course of his brief career at Duke. Uh, Scoring, a little up and down sometimes, 14 points, six assists, three turnovers, but Coach K can count on Trey Jones to deliver. At number five, this is interesting here because his talent is top five. Team is really underachieved. Kind of disappointing in Iowa State. But Tyrese Halliburton, 15 and 5. He's going to be a high draft pick, and he's really been the main bright spot for the Cyclones this season. At number four, Von Dotson from Kansas. 18 points a game, four assists, chance to be Big 12 Player of the Year, has a great opportunity to potentially lead the Jayhawks to the national championship, let alone the Big 12 regular season title came back to deliver. And that's exactly what Dotson has done. Now, the reason he may not be the favorite right now to be Big 12 Player of the Year is because at number three, I've got Jared Butler from Baylor. Averaging 16 points, three assists. Uh, The Baylor Bears, the number one team in the country. And Butler is one of the main reasons. Done an outstanding job defensively as they've shifted more to man than zone. Uh, But he's also been a big-time scorer for Scott Drew in the Bears. One, two could go either way, believe it or not. But at number two, I'm going with Daniel Uturu from Minnesota. 20 points, 11 boards. If the Gophers make the NCAA tournament, it's because of Oturu inside. He has been phenomenal. His growth from freshman to sophomore year has been tremendous. I liken it a lot to what Bruno Fernando did at Maryland freshman to sophomore year. Oturu has made himself an all-Big Ten type player, a player who can certainly not just get drafted, but do something in the NBA. But before that, he's got a chance to lead Minnesota to the NCAA tournament. And at number one, Obi Toppin from Dayton. 19.7 boards. Toppin right now is a first-team All-American, lottery pick, and the reason that the Dayton Flyers are a top-10 team and a team that could get to the Final Four with the right seating, favorite to win the A-10. Toppin's going to win A-10 Player of the Year. So he is number one on my top 10 list of sophomores here at Cats Ranks. But Daniel Turu from Minnesota, you could argue he might be 1A, 1B. He's had that kind of season for the Gophers. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Texas Tech head coach, 
Chris Beard, big week for the Red Raiders at TCU in the middle part of the week, and then host in Kentucky in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Uh, coming off road win at K-State and a home win over Iowa State after dropping two to two pretty good teams, the number one team in the country or in a lot of our eyes, Baylor, and then at West Virginia. Um, let's go after the West Virginia game, Chris. What did you feel like you needed to tweak a little before road K-State and home Iowa State? More than anything, Andy, we just want to stay the course. You know, we talk a lot uh, with our team and teams every year about not getting too high when you have a little success because you could be humbled pretty quick, especially in the Big 12, or, you know, not getting too low when you're going through a little adversity because you know, everybody in this league is a two-game winning streak away from feeling great again. Um, specifically with basketball, there's always things. West Virginia uh, loss, uh, we kind of had to refocus on rebounding and blocking out. Uh, it was nice to see some carryover last week. Obviously, um, you know, your big guns are scoring. I mean, Kyler Edwards... Uh, uh, you know, the, a healthy Jemias Ramsey. Um, since we're in mid-January now, who else has emerged as a guy that, you know what, you can count on so the weight is not always on that one-two punch? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, count on, that's a good word choice, too. We talk a lot about, you know, trust. I know all, um, all players, that I feel, want one thing. You know, they want a coach they can trust. Uh, trust to be consistent, trust to bring it every day, trust to tell them the truth, trust to put in the work to, you know, put them in a situation with a game plan where you got a chance to win. And really on the flip side, it's the same thing as coaches. That's the one thing we want, you know, a guy you can trust to to do the right thing, to make the right play, uh, to play consistent no matter what the scoreboard says. So really our team, we just remain a work in progress. The good news is we've seen everybody in our rotation uh, more than once, more than twice. Uh, have the ability and the talent, you know, to make plays, to play at this level, to help us. Uh, but like most teams, we're just striving for that consistency. You know, like, can we really count on these guys each night uh, to do their job? And, you know, we were talking to the team yesterday, you know, in a team sport, you really don't have the right uh, to choose not to play well or to have an off night. You know, there's no such thing as an off night. I guess in an individual sport, which I've never played, but I certainly respect a tennis or a golf, you know, you're kind of playing for yourself. Uh, but in a team sport, there's a real team element where, you know, simply stated, you, you got to play well every night. You might not make every shot, but you have to play well every night uh, in a team sport. And that's where we're at right now. We're, uh, we're continuing just to find that consistency. If our guys do show up, you know, if we do get every guy on our roster to do their job, uh, then we've proven we can play with anybody in the country. Well, defensively, even in your losses, I mean, the most you gave up, was 66 to West Virginia. Uh, I mean, I, we don't want to need to go back when, you know, Ramsey was her way back in earlier in the season. So defensively, it seems like that has translated home road. Uh, where where are you at in terms of your, uh, you know, um, your confidence in the ability of this defense to travel? Yeah, I think defensively continues to be our identity. Um, you know, it's our culture. It's It's where we invest our time. It's what we recruit. Um, that can't change. It's not a secret. We we strive to be a great defensive team each year. We, we don't want to be a team that's easy to score on. We don't want to be a team that gives up easy baskets. Um, you know, the style uh, can change from year to year based on personnel. Uh, but this year's team has shown a grit and, um, you know, a, a desire to guard. I think it's all related. You know, when we play our kind of defense, it, it translates to, to better offense for us and vice versa. So, uh, but I am proud of this year's team, you know, putting their own identity out there. And, and we have become 
or we're in the process of becoming, you know, a good defensive team. All right. So what do you think of Baylor? Oh, I love them. You know, I think um, they got four guards that are basically kind of interchangeable and they don't really play with the stereotypical kind of point guard this year. You know, four guys can initiate their offense. So it starts with that. Um, it's hard to say, hey, this is the best player. This is the backup guard. I mean, really all four are dynamite players. Um, you know, they've got some guys like Vital and Freddie who've been doing it in our league for a long time. And uh, so really with their personnel. And then I think, you know, Coach Drew's done a great job with this team. That zone has always kind of been their identity. But this year's team is really guarding with man-to-man. In my opinion, personal opinion, it just kind of starts with their pieces. You know, they have no weak links on defense. They're, there's nobody out there taking plays off. There, there appears to be a real competitiveness with every guy on the floor. So um, I think this is one of the best Baylor teams that I've seen, which means a lot because there's been some great ones. Um, they're certainly one of the best teams in the country, no doubt. You know, Chris, this might be a little thing, but, you know, I've covered this long enough. I know from the television side that when they do these challenges, you know, consistently it's been Kentucky, Kansas, um, you know, maybe sprinkling, uh, you know, Texas or something like that. But to me, it speaks volumes when they say, okay, ratings, matchups, brands, we want Kentucky to play Texas Tech because I know that's the way it works. What is that? I mean, I know you went to a national championship game and you went to an Elite Eight, but this to me is another step in the branding of Texas Tech basketball nationally. What does it tell you that the you know programmers, the TV people said, you know what? We want Kentucky versus Texas Tech. Yeah, it means a lot to us. And to downplay it and say that it doesn't wouldn't be truthful. You know, I talked to our players a lot this offseason. We kind of go one game at a time, so we have not talked about the Kentucky game since this summer. Uh, but this summer when our schedule came out, we were kind of taking through the guys, the journey that we have in front of us. Uh, to me, it's a sign of respect. And it's nothing that any of us really did to earn it. I think it's the former players. You know, it's the Keenan Evans and Zach Smith and Justin Graves, the Culvers and the Zaires, the Tommy Hamiltons, those guys that paved the way before this team, you know, put our program, um, you know, in a position where we can, where we can be competitive in games like this. So, you know, I also want to recognize Coach Cal. Like, I mean, um, you know, they say that they throw the names in a computer and they pop out. But, I, you know, I, I understand that's not true. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes with those games. And um, in my opinion, I might be wrong. I might be right. But in my opinion, you know, I don't think Kentucky's coming to love it unless Coach Cal, you know, um, endorsed it. So, um, you know, we're honored to play in the game. We'll have to play our best game of the year to, to win. But that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, But more than anything, we're appreciative to play against a program that we have a lot of respect for. You know, a program that's been doing it for a long time. Different players, different coaches, one of the best fan bases in college basketball. So it's a great measuring stick for our program. Hey, Chris, what do you think of this season that um, you can go through the reshuffling that you're having and have had and be a contender? Like, this is the new norm. Like, everyone is still... A contender. There's no dominant teams. It makes it fun. It makes it interesting. It makes it unpredictable. But it also means, you know, you can be a player if you got a program like you have. Yeah, it's really the thing we're most proud of, Andy. And we'll talk about it after the season. There'll be a time to reflect. But right now, in the middle of the journey, we're just grinding away. But I respect the question. I mean, you know, we returned one starter, Moro, from last year's team, um, and only two players that played. Kyler Edwards came off the bench as a freshman. And then here we are back in the fight. And, you know, it's early uh, conference season, but I don't think you could deny that we are a part of the fight. I give all the credit to the players. These guys have, have done a great job, you know, forming their own identity on this year's team. 
Uh, no one can ever take away the past from us, but you got to live in the moment. And I think these guys are, are doing a great job of it. Again, it's early. We got a long ways to go, but you can't deny that these guys have made themselves relative quickly. All right, last thing, because i got to throw a curveball at you. Uh, it is Oscar season. I know you probably haven't had time to see any of these movies. Am I correct? Have not seen a movie in a while, correct. Okay. So if you are going to see a movie, uh, what are you looking for in terms of them, something that's going to entertain you? Yeah, so that's an easy question. I, um, <laughs> I definitely know what I like. I like dramas. You know, I like to go in, watch a movie, and, and see a story. And I love movies based on true things. And, um, I, you know, I like comedy, of course, from time to time. But if I have to choose and I have to pick a movie, I always like to kind of, you know, put my teeth into something like get a story where you where you walk out of the theater kind of feeling inspired or at least thinking or maybe feeling a little bit better than you did before you walked in. And when you're sitting down, are you going popcorn, a sweet? W- what are you eating? Yeah, it's a little embarrassing, but I'll tell the truth as always, you know, I, um, I really don't even like popcorn except for when I go to the movies. And every time I go to the movies, I get it. And then about an hour after the movie, when I can't get it out of my teeth, I'm saying to myself, why did I do that again? Um, But it's always popcorn. I mean, literally, I've never gone to a movie and not gotten popcorn. Even if I just ate dinner, it doesn't matter. It's like embarrassing to admit. Um, And then I I very rarely just drink like old school Coke more of an unsweet tea guy like in regular life but when i go to the movies i'm pounding it i'm not feeling bad about it i don't feel guilty if i have to make my own i'm only going about a quarter ice so i can you know uh have a have a lot of it if if the person behind the counter is making it then i'm like greasing the wheels like hey please light ice light ice um i'm also that person you know regardless of where i've been financially in my life like you know if i order a coke and you only fill it up about two thirds, I'm calling you out, you know, like right. <laughs> not in a bad way or disrespectful, but I'm like, Hey man, can you, you know, can you pop it up there a little bit? That's kind of my, my game. <laughs> I agree with you hundred percent. All right, Chris, uh, have a great week. All right. See you, Andy. Thank you. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Emmanuel quickly from Kentucky. Uh, the Wildcats coming off a great Come back, well, maybe not come back, just sort of a great win at Arkansas, holding off the Hogs. Who were make, they were making a comeback, and yet Arkansas uh, not able to get over the hump because Kentucky really just had a second gear in those last eight minutes, even after Coach Cal got ejected. Uh, Emmanuel, put that win in perspective. What did that tell you about this team? Um, this team just showed a lot of toughness, a lot of grit. Um, uh, we had like the similar game before at South Carolina. Uh, we had kind of learned from that game, just, you know, when team fights back, it just, you know, keep crawling, keep digging in. Um, when Coach Cal got ejected, we knew we all had to come together. So that was a big moment for us. Yeah, so tell, tell me through that, take me through that process, because uh, obviously he was very agitated. Uh, it was kind of surprising that uh, they ejected him in that moment. Uh, wh- what was that sort of mini huddle like when you knew he was getting tossed? Um, really, you know, we had, we really had a lot of, I guess, quote unquote veterans, uh, on the floor at the time. It was like Nick Richards, who's a junior, Ashton's a sophomore, EJ's a, a sophomore, and then myself, who's also a sophomore. Uh, you know, we really just kind of came together, started talking to each other, um, about what we needed to do to get a dub. Uh, we just had to lock in on defense, uh, keep moving the ball on offense and just make the right play. You know, and that, that came after you mentioned that South Carolina game, crazy game. Uh, three-pointer buzzer beater 
uh, from Cousinard to, to knock you guys off. So clearly, you know, it, it, that's more of an outlier because you guys had been rolling prior to that, the win at Georgia, home games over Missouri and Alabama. Uh, overall, at this juncture, as you're getting ready for hosting Georgia and then going to Texas Tech, which you know will be tough, uh, where would you say this team is at at this point in the season? Uh, I, think, I feel like our team's really getting better, uh, especially from the start of the season. Um, I think we got a lot of talent, a lot of skill, but, you know, just cleaning up some stuff on, like, effort and uh, just trying to get tougher as the season goes on. And so uh, when we get, hopefully, you know, looking forward to, you know, like games like March Madness, when you get a real tough team that's really solid and fundamental, uh, we can withstand all that stuff. Emmanuel, that, that week in Vegas was a little rough, uh, and, and it's kind of surprising, especially the Utah game. Um, you know, and that was right before Christmas. What did, how did you guys react to those two losses? It was really tough. You know, we dropped two games that we thought we definitely could have won. Um, it dropped us back in the polls a lot. Uh, people were starting to question us whether we were actually going to be good. Um, but, you know, we all stayed together. Uh, the next practice we had when we came back was, was really positive. Everybody was, you know, upbeat and things like that. Uh, it was also good to go home for a couple of days, just decompress and things like that. But when we came back, we were all locked in, really focused. And uh, I think we, we've really been getting better since then. You know what I love, Emmanuel, about the way the staff handles you guys, led by obviously Coach Cal, Hall of Famer, and Kenny Payne and, and down the line, is when there has been a setback, you don't get crushed. You know, like your coach is not publicly going out there and just crushing you guys. And there's encouragement, even if you guys have done things wrong or need to be tweaked. How has that helped the development of this group that the coaching staff has been encouraging and positive and isn't out there just crushing you guys? Uh, it's definitely great uh, to have a great coaching staff. Uh, really, they know how hard we work uh, as a team and as individuals. So when we when we drop a game or, or something happens, you know, we know they know that you know we're always going to be in the gym. We're always going to keep working and things like that. We're always going to have each other's back. So, and it's a long season. You know, Coach uh, Cal always talks about playing for March and you know playing for the long run. So, um, it's it's never about just one game. It's always about you know preparing to keep getting better. Lastly, you you have gotten better and you've embraced this role. Uh, you know your your statistics obviously have jumped dramatically in every category. You know, the one that everyone obviously points to initially is points five to 13 minutes uh, have jumped from 18 to 30. Uh, what did you do in the offseason to make sure you were ready for this kind of role? Um, in the offseason, I kind of looked at, you know, uh, how I'll be playing with this team. You know, with this team, I knew we had a really good player in Tyrese Maxey coming in. I knew Ashton was coming back. So I knew I'd be playing off the ball a lot. Uh, not to say that I can't play on the ball, but I knew I'd be playing off the ball a lot. So I, I watched a lot of film last year of, you know, how Tyler was coming off screens and things like that. And just seeing how I was going to be playing, and I took that into my workouts and just tried to get better from there, and it's, it's been paying off. Well, you're having a great season. Uh, I know good things are gonna, going to continue for you guys. Uh, I appreciate the time, Emmanuel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now here on March Madness 365, it's time for predictions. Chad Acock from Turner Sports joins me, as always, every week. Uh, Chad, I felt like I had a pretty strong week last week. How did I do? Yeah, it was a great week. You went 9-3. and three. Uh, A couple of trends here, though. You know, you missed completely on Duke as two of your three losses. They lost at Clemson and then lost at home against Louisville. Uh, but you did nail both of the Wisconsin games. Wisconsin beat Maryland 
in kind of a crazy fashion. Oh yeah, and then and then they lost to Michigan State. But your other wins, you know, West Virginia crushed TCU. Seton Hall picked up a huge road win at Butler. Tough place to play in Hinkle. Uh, Florida State squeaked one out against UVA in a super low scoring game. Uh, Iowa beat Michigan. Penn State beat Ohio State. Kansas won at Texas. And Arizona just smoked Colorado. Your only other loss, uh, you, you took a risk, but, you know, I felt like it was a good pick, though. Arkansas at home against Kentucky. Calipari got thrown out of the game, and they still came back and won. Uh, what are your thoughts on last week? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the Arkansas-Kentucky game, um, when I think back to Kentucky, I mean, I, if they'd swept that, it really would have been a difference maker. But I don't think I would have been out of the ordinary to say, okay, they got two road games at South Carolina, which had really been struggling all over the place, and you're at Arkansas, which had really been playing well, you know, lost to LSU in the last possession. So I, I don't apologize for that pick at all. Um, you know, I didn't think it would be the reverse. And then for the Duke situation, you know, Clemson thought there could be a natural hangover after ending that 59-game losing streak to North Carolina, coming home to play in Duke. Uh, Duke had played well on the road in the ACC for the most part. And then Louisville comes in there, which had not played well in their big games um, outside of that Michigan home game. So once again, uh, the fact that now Duke has lost two games at Cameron this season, that just doesn't happen. One to a team from a one-bid league in Stephen F. Austin, and now to one of the favorites in the ACC uh, in Louisville. It's just certainly continues the trend that this is an unpredictable season. No doubt. Yeah, that hangover Clemson came one game later uh, at NC State. But let's go ahead and get into the predictions for this week, Andy. Tuesday night, Butler at Villanova. Tough week for Butler last week after they lost at home to Seton Hall and then on the road to DePaul. Now they've got to go at Villanova, who hasn't lost at home all season. Are we looking at a third straight loss for the Bulldogs? We are. And what I, in talking to a lot of coaches this season, in leagues like the Big East, the Big Ten, little bit the Big 12, but especially the Big East and Big 10, you're probably going to go through a two or three game losing streak. If you don't, you got a good chance to win the league, a la Seton Hall, Michigan State. Uh, And so how do you survive it? And this will be an interesting test case for Butler because I think they will continue the slide. The outlier in their losing streak was certainly the DePaul game. But once again, that was a desperate DePaul that desperately needed that win after starting 0-4 in the league. Uh, Nova at home, Uh, has been playing exceptionally well, and so I think they're going to continue the trend and win. Yeah, I agree with that pick. You've also got Illinois at Purdue on Tuesday night. Illinois sitting at 5-2 and in the Big Ten. Purdue followed up their route of Michigan State with an L at Maryland. Uh, Does Purdue bounce back again at Mackey? They do, and I just was with Illinois. I'm really high on this Illinois team, and even if Illinois loses a couple in a row— Illinois fans need to calm down because this is a journey. It's a marathon. They're going to be fine when they get into March because they've got the personnel. They've got the toughness. It's just so hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. And I can't see Purdue losing again at Mackey this season. Uh, They're clearly two different teams. It's a great home court. So I got the Boilermakers beating Illinois. Yeah, I like that. Now, Wednesday, Penn State at Michigan. Uh, Penn State found a way to beat the Buckeyes and snap their own three-game losing streak. Uh, but they can't, can they get a little momentum going and, and pick up another win at Michigan? So this is interesting. We're going to talk about a second Michigan game later in the week. Um, and I've gone back and forth with this game. But I, I kind of like Penn State here. And Michigan has been trending in the wrong direction, even though they're at home. 
you know, they lost already at home to Oregon, very good Oregon team. But I kind of feel like the Penn State win over Ohio State kind of snapped them back into place. I'm going with the Nittany Lions on the road. Yeah, I feel like you can be a little bit more, I guess, comfortable with that road pick when you've got a veteran guy like Lamar Stevens for Penn State. Yeah, and Mike Watkins and the guards for Penn State certainly played better. No doubt. Now, Thursday, January 23rd, Michigan State at Indiana. This is a huge week for Indiana. Uh, the Hoosiers have a couple of opportunities at home to get get a resume win. The first one comes Thursday night against Michigan State. Can they defend Assembly Hall here? So we're going to talk later about Indiana as well in these picks, but I, I like the Spartans here. Um, the guard play for Indiana has been way too erratic, and even though Michigan State laid a huge egg at Purdue, I don't see them doing it again. Uh, Indiana has not shown the consistency. Uh, yes, they won at Nebraska, but that's a game you sort of almost have to win. I can see Michigan State going into Bloomington and winning this game. Yeah, I think Indiana might pick up one of two wins this week, but we'll visit that uh, on Sunday for our last pick. Uh, but staying with Thursday, USC at Oregon. If you'd asked the general public which two teams were tied for the top of the Pac-12, I would guess maybe 1% could get that correct. <laughs> it's USC and Stanford. The Trojans have kind of beat up on the bottom of the Pac-12, and, and they're sitting there at 4-1. and one. They have a chance to make it a statement win at Oregon. Can they get it done? Uh, I think they got a good shot to split the weekend, but not here. Uh, obviously, they're going to go and play Oregon State on the back part of the weekend. But uh, as well as USC has played the last couple of games, um, you know, they, they've got it in them to not play well, as we saw at Washington. So I like Oregon in the late game. Uh, dagger shooter in uh, Peyton Pritchard. All right, now Friday night, another fun one in the Big East, Marquette at Butler. After Miles Powell lit up Butler for 29 points on the road, Marcus Howard's now got a chance to do the same thing. Who do you like winning in Hinkle? I like Butler. This is where they bounce back. This is where they reset. Um, you know, defensively, basically I feel like they're going to shut everyone else down. Marcus Howard may get his, but it won't be enough. I go with Butler. Okay, now Saturday We'll have the Big 12 SEC Challenge starting up, so let's look at a couple of those matchups. In the noon hour, you'll have Iowa State at Auburn. The Cyclones, they have talent. They do, but they're 8-9, and nine and they're 0-4 on the road. Now, granted, Auburn, they saw, suffered their first two losses last week. So which team do you see winning uh, in Auburn Arena? Uh, I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, I don't see them losing at home this season. Obviously struggled on the road last week. We talked about that where they lost to Alabama and Florida. I figured they lose to at least one of those two teams last week, as we predicted. Uh, I, you know, Iowa State's given me no faith that they can go down in, into Auburn, Alabama and win this game. Okay, another Big 12 SEC Challenge matchup is Tennessee at Kansas. Now, before the season, this looked like a pretty good matchup, but now it's kind of lost its luster uh, with Tennessee, you know, not not doing as well as people expected this season. Is this kind of a layup, like an easy one for Kansas and Fog Allen? Yes, uh, I think this could be a double-digit victory for the Jayhawks. Uh, Tennessee's shown great grit here without Lamonte Turner, but uh, Kansas just has too much. Uh, obviously, Rick Barnes very familiar with Fog Allen, coaching at Texas for all those years, but uh, I'm going with the Jayhawks. What about Kentucky at Texas Tech? The Red Raiders are 9-1 at home, and you know we saw Kentucky struggle on the road uh, at South Carolina last week. Who do you have winning here? I got Texas Tech. This is going to be a crazed environment for the Red Raiders. You know, prior to this, they're playing at TCU, which is not going to be easy for them. So there may be some sense of urgency, some desperation for Texas Tech with this home game. Uh, a lot of this will come down, you know, to how Kentucky can handle uh, Edwards and Ramsey of Texas Tech. Um, you know, Kentucky had a great final, what, seven, eight minutes at Arkansas. 
but uh, I'm going with the Red Raiders to pull this one off. Yeah, I think that'll be probably the toughest environment Kentucky will have to face all season. That Texas Tech crowd is going to be insane. Now, how about Baylor at Florida? This similar to Tennessee-Kansas, like it started off as you know a really great matchup, and then Florida kind of fell off, but now Florida's back. Florida dominated Auburn over the weekend. Is Florida you know, catching their hot streak at the right time here? Can they knock off Baylor? I think they can. I went. I, I, I sort of vacillated on this one as well uh, because Baylor had to come back and beat Oklahoma State on the road. And, you know, I, I feel like Baylor is due for one of these games where on the road, uh, as well as they've been playing, if they let someone get out ahead of them, it's going to be difficult to, to come back, um, you know, defensively with them playing much more man than zone. It has worked out for them. Uh, but I, I just feel like the desperation, the urgency for Florida to get a signature win like this at home, I don't think they'll allow it to escape them. Yeah, I think this will be an outstanding defensive battle with the Gators coming out on top. Now, one, I guess, non-Big 12 SEC game on Saturday is Illinois at Michigan. We just touched on Illinois. It's the second of a big road week for Illinois. But can Michigan get a win here? Yeah, so this is where I'm going to say Illinois will go on a little bit of a mini slide, uh, but still be okay because uh, it's so hard to win on the road. They did win at Wisconsin. But following my logic here, if I've got Penn State beating Michigan, I can't see Michigan losing two home games this week. And I, I, I think Michigan's going to get this Illinois one. So Michigan splits. And then Sunday, as we alluded to, it's the Hoosiers' second big home game of the week. It's Maryland at Indiana. Can IU pull this one out at Assembly Hall? Yes. Once again, my logic, uh, because remember, they got absolutely roasted in College Park. I mean, that was a beatdown that Maryland put on Indiana. There was an effort question on that one. And so I think this is a pride game. I think everyone's going to be jacked up for this one. Uh, Maryland is completely different on the road. Uh, they actually struggled actually at home this last game to knock off Purdue. So I like Indiana to save some face to knock off Maryland over the weekend. So Andy, you went nine and three last week, but if you count the little bonus prediction we had last week, it would have been 10 and three. You said Auburn would suffer their first loss of the season last week and they did. So now San Diego state at 19 and 0 is the only undefeated team. This week, they'll play at home against a bad Wyoming team and then go on the road at UNLV. Will they be 21-0 and at the end of this week? Well, UNLV is actually playing really well, but I don't think they're playing well enough to, to knock off San Diego State. I, I feel like we're going to be, especially with Utah State really struggling right now, this feels to me kind of like, um, I want to go back, I'm going to maybe go back all the way to 04, if I'm if my memory is correct here, when St. Joe's ran the table but then lost to, I think, Xavier in the A-10 tournament. Um, I feel like we're going to get an undefeated San Diego State heading into the Mountain West Conference tournament. They're already going to know they're going to be a one or two seed uh, and then possibly get upset in the tournament, which I don't think they will be upset about um, in hindsight because then they've got it out of the way and they reset for the NCAA tournament. But I just feel like they're going to run the table through the regular season before they get to Vegas in the Mountain West Conference tournament. All right, so 21-0 at the end of this week. We will revisit those 12 picks and we'll check back in on the Aztecs next week, Andy. Appreciate it, Chad. As always, you can follow our podcast on all our social media platforms at NCAA.com and March Madness and on Facebook. Uh, appreciate our guests this week. We're covering the country year-round, 365 days. We've got a lot of content, of course, this week coming off of the podcast. We're going to break down the Player of the Year race as well, as you just heard on this podcast when I was uh, discussing it with Mike DeCourcy. Uh, these predictions, 
Uh, plenty else to digest here with Chris Beard, Manuel Quickly from Kentucky. Hope you enjoyed it, uh, and we will talk again next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.